He's the kind of man who wouldn't leave you a crumb on a plate. If City ring up this morning and say, come on then, what's the price? He will say it's X. It's not X minus 10%. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Shame that, but care. You've got all the fans there. Can we not knock it? It's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Yeah, I answer questions on anything uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, disgrace! I suggest you shut up and show more football. Yes, you're very welcome along to Team 33. End a call here with you up until about 10 o'clock this evening. It feels like we're back to square one. It's almost as if when the, the, the clock struck 12 o'clock on midnight this New Year's Eve that we were transported back to 2013. Manchester United have are, are officially without Alex Ferguson and now they have to figure out what to do in the post-Ferguson era. Unfortunately, that's not really what happened. We are in the year 2022. United are in a mess. Ralph Ragnick seems to be in a bit of trouble at Old Trafford. Ronan Mullen is with me. Arthur O'Dea is with me. Ronan, I'll start with you. I mean, initial thoughts on what's happening at Old Trafford. It just, It genuinely just feels like they've hit the reset button and they're deciding... None of the last eight years happened and Ralph Ragnick needs to try to figure out what he's going to do here. Yeah, you look at the briefing from within Manchester United over the last few years and it's very clear that it's like a direct line of communication from the top brass United to the journalists almost trying to frame it in a way that there's this I think cultural reboot is the phrase that was being tossed around and in events where United weren't doing so well on the pitch, there was an implication that well, we're trying to get our house in order in terms of refreshing the academy and getting the right personnel in. And to a certain extent, people were buying into that. Like Solskjaer, for all his woes, there was a sense that he had things pointing in the right direction. But you see when things are stripped back and at the slightest sense of acrimony or tension in the squad, the whole thing just seems to fall apart. And if we had this conversation on Monday, and I would have been pretty forthright against Rangnick's tactics and the setup and just kind of thinking playing essentially a 4-4-2 in the modern game against a possession dominant team like Wolves you know was never going to work but I think it's come to light in the last few days more clearly that the problems go way beyond him and any sort of figurehead this is a this is entrenched within the side within the squad within the actual institution and this is um, I think people talked after the first couple of post-Ferguson years that it was mirroring the Liverpool effect of the 90s and it was sort of dismissed and a little bit of a joking tone, but I think it's becoming a harsh reality for Man United fans that it's very conceivable that they could be looking at a bit of a famine here in terms of competing for league titles. Yeah, so there's obviously a mountain of United talk, be that in the papers, be that on off the ball, be that everywhere else. People are talking about Manchester United for obvious reasons, but if for some reason you've missed what's going on, this is how I see it, what's what's going on at Manchester United at the minute. So on the pitch, you've got the second most expensive squad ever assembled in world football who are sitting not very prettily in the Premier League table, not doing very well in the cup competitions. If you look at their formation, 
they don't seem to be suited to play 4-4-2, or the you know the Ralph Ragnick favorite of 4-2-2-2-2 because you need a midfielder. They don't have a midfielder that control can control the pace of a game. Manchester United don't have a, a midfielder that seems capable of passing the ball further than five yards. So that seems like a real issue to me on the football pitch. Off the football pitch, leaks galore in the newspapers over the last couple of weeks. Rumors of unrest in the in the squad. Eleven players reportedly want to leave. There's cliques growing within the squad. Players seem to be unhappy with the training. It's it's too late for them, Ronan. It's 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 getting dark. It's getting cold. Manchester isn't the brightest place in January, and they're annoyed that training is running past five o'clock. Some players apparently had to Google who Ralph Ragnick was before when he uh, actually got the job, which, to be fair, is hardly surprising given Mason Greenwood was what ten years old when Ralph Ragnick last held a senior position as a manager of a club. And it's also not an indictment of his body of work if the players don't know who he is. I think that's on the players rather than what Ragnick has achieved. And then behind the scenes, you've got Ed Woodward giving his long goodbye, the longest goodbye of a chief executive ever. Richard Arnold is taking over. Since 2013, Richard Arnold has been the marketing executive at the club. And his main sort of, I don't know if you want to call it the main reason he's getting the promotion, but was sealing the multi-million dollar deal with TeamViewer, which to be fair is probably the biggest success at Manchester United was finally getting rid of that horrific sponsor in the middle of the, the jersey. But now he's in charge of what happens off the pitch. He was the same sort of role that Ed Woodward had uh, before he took charge of what happens on the pitch. So you're looking at a team that has been assembled by someone who didn't really know what he was doing because he's really a commercial operator. You have a manager who has failed to inspire an, an ego-filled squad. And then you have Manchester City, who just seem to be one of the best teams of the last decade, absolutely trouncing everyone in their place. So, Arthur, that is just not a recipe that is, is going to have any sort of favour with the Manchester United supporters. <laughs> Where to start with that? <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, I mean, everything that you've said is kind of bang on the money. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know enough about Richard Arnold one way or another to say whether that's good or bad. I guess we'll see. Um, in terms of thing, yeah, I don't think I'd be very reluctant to kind of blame Ralph Rackett for anything at the moment. I, I, I think, I don't know what I saw. Like, was it a few days ago? I think, it might have been Miguel Delaney saying that, like, all in all, he'd had the players f- training. He'd had something like three or four days with all his players in the course of the month, all things considered, to actually train them. So it's kind of, I don't really know what you expect him to do. Like, you know, there's kind of, it, it kind of, I, then again, he took the position on, granted, knowing that it would be extremely tight. So whatever. But there's probably the answer or the problem is probably not there necessarily. But um, beyond that, it's just, it's just a mess. I kind of am relating to what Ronan's saying in terms of like it's just where do you start? What thread do you pull on? What like what's it's very hard to get to the essence of anything here. Like it just seems like it's been it seems like such a mess now and it's all kind of just congealed that it's kind of you just want to, as you're kind of saying, almost like I could understand why you would want to just start scratch from scratch again and just go, Okay, it's twenty thirteen. Let's let's get it right this time. But like I don't know. It's a mess. It really is. Like it just feels that way. It feels kind of hopeless. Mm. 
And R- Ralph Ragnick is obviously going to, he's going to take some of the blame when it comes to the performances on the pitch, but it does genuinely seem like it all stems back to Ed Woodward. And I don't know how long, how much longer United can continue to blame Ed Woodward for their failings because, I mean, he does have, he, he does, he does boast about how much money he spent. He spent well over a billion on this squad, but there just doesn't seem to be any coherence with it at all. And, one of the key things that uh, Laurie Whitwell points out in one of his athletic pieces about this is talking about the the different approach that Richard Arnold is going to take. He's going to pot- potentially take a step back and let the people who he feels knows more about football than he does uh, take charge of what's happening. But Ronan, one of the key issues at United, I think, has been not their ability to get players in the door, but their ability to get players out the door. Dan James was sold to Leeds for 25 million. That was genuinely a really good piece of business by Ed Woodward. But he is only the ten, the seventh player at Manchester United since 2013 that they've acquired more than 10 million for. And when you compare that to Manchester City, who've just sold Fernand Torres to Barcelona, Sergio Aguero last year, and David Silva. And this is what a recruitment source said to Laurie Whitwell, he said that Manchester United are letting go of genuine first-team players and United are keeping hold of players who haven't featured in two years. So that's why you're seeing a bloated squad full of people who are unhappy. It is it is a failure of United to actually let go of players that they don't need anymore. Yeah, like you take one example and just plucking this from the annals of history a little bit, but when Rafael da Silva was let go from Man United for a pittance, like in relative terms in a modern transfer window. And this is a guy, you know, for all, he wasn't um, Cafu or one of the top right backs of his generation or anything like it, but like that kind of set the tone for Man United when they were doing this regeneration of personnel. It didn't really matter. They were just happy to get people out of the door. And you look at the Liverpool model, for example, and the money they've managed to generate from outgoings, it kind of United have to aspire to that that if they're going to be selling players they have to be trying to get you know market value for them and that's kind of the thing you look at the Liverpool model and Man United fans probably don't want to be comparing themselves to their bitter rivals but things can turn around quite quickly if you get the framework in place like it's not that long ago that Liverpool were in utter disarray and they got the right people in at boardroom level the manager's obviously arguably the best in the world and it all followed from there so United have to get those key appointments right and that is crucial, what you're mentioning there, what Arnold's saying, that he will defer to people with football expertise on these footballing decisions. The, the only issue there is they have to get the right people in those footballing positions. And at the moment, you're looking at Darren Fletcher, who it's, it's hard to discern what the hell he's actually doing because one minute he's on the sideline, one minute he's like walking around training sessions. He's supposed to be the technical director. like He should be out there scouting players, putting together frameworks for the kind of players United should be signing, this kind of stuff. I don't know if his role has been fully defined. Ralph Rangnick, in theory, would be taking on a quasi-director of football role at the end of this season, helping to hire the new manager, similarly new staff, revamping the academy, that kind of thing. As things are going, I can't see United being able to entrust him with that responsibility. If the season peters out, as it seems to be, that they end on such a low ebb, they're hardly going to hand over the future of the club to the guy that's that's taken them on this you know, quite uninspiring last few months. So... I think the end of the season, for all that United fans are probably keen to write it all off, I think it is quite important in terms of setting plans in place 
for the summer because to your point and you look at Paul Pogba they're about to lose him again for the second time for no money whatsoever Jesse Lingard last summer was promised first team football if he stayed at United they could have got possibly 25-30 million for him last summer off the back of a really impressive spell at West Ham instead he's going to go for free in the summer Edison Cavani who for all that he's in the you know end of his career in all intents and purposes you know, has been kind of an inspirational figure for Man United fans and he's going to be at the door for free. I can't see Ronaldo being there next year after all the wages they've spent on him this year and probably by signing Ronaldo forwent the midfield signing that you're talking about, like going for Declan Rice or Ruben Neves in the end part of the last transfer window. So you put all that together and, you know, it's kind of indicative of where they're at. It's just a, a really badly run club at the moment. Yeah, the Mario Darmian transfer always sticks in my mind as the indictment of what United are trying to do because they they bought him from, um, was it Torino originally for 16, 18 million pounds hmm. and then they sold him for 2 million pounds. I mean, that that is just not a, a sustainable business model for any sort of business to make that sort of loss. They just needed to get rid of him. And if you, But if you look at the players that they've actually, you know, tossed out the door over the last... Uh, what eight years since 2013 it it seemed always seemed strange that they like like the likes of Chris Smallin who had was off the back of a a pretty decent season for United they let him rather rather than Phil Jones no I'm just saying I'm not saying Chris Chris Smalling was good enough for United I'm just saying rather than Phil Jones who got an extension and then did it, it was a four year extension at the time he hasn't played football for two of those four years and then the likes of Ander Herrera, again, probably not at the level you want, but it is at least going to put in a better shift in midfield than the likes of Fred, who they spent uh-huh. 50 million on. I, I, I just think some of the, some of the, Johnny Evans exactly has, as another player that you, you point to as it just seems strange that they let certain players go and kept other players. I no, you it, disagree. I think you no. I think just before Arthur comes in, like you've hit the point there in the sense that, it's all well and good getting rid of Rafael da Silva if you're bringing in a top right back, but you're bringing in Matteo Darmian who was off the back of a good Euros campaign with Italy, but not exactly a massive upgrade. And similarly, Smalling, as you mentioned, but Johnny Evans, who's an academy product and that ticks the box in terms of quota. And for my money, very capable player, could play off both feet, was a ball-playing defender. And they got rid of him and brought in Marcus Rahu, who was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and again, they had to boot him off. They paid, I don't know if you have the numbers to hand in it, but it was around 15 million for him as well and let him go for free. They literally had to pay someone to take him. So that's kind of the point that uh, it's all well and good, like trying to up the standards in certain positions, but not just throwing money away to kind of, I don't know, keep the system going almost. You'd agree entirely in terms of the recruitment being appalling, but like I wouldn't... <laughs> I think you look back on some of those things, a lot of those players, it's like that thing of like a lot of those players just being, I, I personally, yeah, like Johnny Evans, Smalling, um, I, a lot of them kind of looked fine when things were going well, but God almighty, they were poor once Ferguson left. Um, like it's it's just, I, I yeah, I think a little bit of that, there's a little, like Ander Herrera, Jesus, no. I'd rather have like it's like come on like it's not he was I loved his spirit I loved all I loved everything he was about but like it's um I wouldn't be glam <laughs> just glamorizing that too much but like I fully agree with you. I'm not really sure for example what Juan Mata's doing I don't know he's just a, he's just a mascot now is he 
like he's obviously um obviously a top fella and the work he's done with that it was a common goal or whatever it is so he's obviously and probably a very nice guy to have around but it doesn't even feel like he's a footballer <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, well he's reportedly one of the 8 to 11 players who want out of the club too right but I'm just thinking like why does he want out of the club he's at the end of his career he's on massive wages who's he going to go to I mean he'll probably end up back in I don't know Alvarez or a lower level uh, Spanish team potentially for a year and maybe that's fair enough if you want to go and retire in in the the warmth of Spain rather than the the cold uh, winter of Manchester I, I have absolutely no issue with that at all but I just find it strange that there would be discontent within the squad for players who have not earned their way into the team at all so you look at some of the players that are deemed unhappy the likes of Jesse Lingard for example, he shouldn't be at the club, really. United should have sold him. He put up a, a, an Instagram post with a hammers emoji a couple of months ago. I mean, is he going to West Ham or was that just him causing a bit of friction within the squad for no reason? Like, there's there's a lot going on that I think is just... It's, it's just a very messy situation. I don't know if there's any way you can describe it otherwise. But what do you, in, in terms what do you of think, on the pitch, like for all that it's multifaceted and we've kind of explored a lot of the avenues that have made it so that it's it's a really difficult situation to solve. But to what extent do you think if Antonio Conte had been hired when he should have been after the Liverpool defeat, like do you think that would have just had a trickle down effect on at least the playing staff that this lad means business? For all that, it's not a six-month contract. We know he's going to be here for a couple of seasons at least. And I think that were some of the reservations that they figured he's not going to be a long-term appointment. But mm. you would have at least got the new manager bounce from him that they're just simply not getting from Rangnick at the moment. So I just wonder, do you think like a, a world-class manager coming in can actually fix a lot of these issues? Well, I think that's where you kind of fall into the hypotheticals in the in the argument because... Like Antonio Conte came into Tottenham and he struggled with the reins the first couple of weeks in terms of the Harry Kane situation, what was going on. And even he said, like, he hinted at background issues that are going to take much longer than a couple of months to solve. And maybe maybe Ralph Ragnick is struggling to get a hold and, and, and inspire this United dressing room to get around him because he does not have the same CV as Antonio Conte. But also, I think you have to look at the fact that he hasn't been around, really. He's been in the job for four weeks and reports saying that he's only been really working with the team for five days. So if the United team have made up their made their opinions up on, on Ralph Ragnick in the space of five days in a couple of matches, then I don't know. And, and also, and maybe this is just a bit of a naive way of thinking about it, but I also question why the United players would have the I don't know the the guts to question anybody at this point. Audacity. Considering yeah. audacity is the is the word. The, I mean, they're acting as if they're Champions League winners last year and the last couple of years. They have won nothing. They've won nothing. They've consistently underachieved, and they've consistently not performed to the level that they possibly think they're at. I mean, they, they've surely they they finished second in the in the Premier League and they got to Europa League final, but. Second doesn't win any medals and runners up in the Europa League doesn't win any medals. So where are they getting the ego from? Ronaldo, yes, Grant, you've been there, done that. But what have you done for me lately? And yeah. the, the, the exact same with players in the in the squad, the likes of Bruno. What has he achieved, really? Nothing. Ah, so yeah, but like, no, but Mark, this Marcus is what Rashford. I'm talking about. 
Mark Ashash was not convinced by Ralph Ragnick's training methods. Well, I'm not convinced by you, pal. Do you know what I mean? I exactly. like to see you pull up your socks a little bit and, you know, That's a- like deliver on some of your ability. You know, you he came on and burst onto the scene in, in a big way and had an impressive couple of seasons. I know he was hampered by injury, but rarely does a player go through their career without suffering some sort of injury. So he needs to like clue in again and like... I don't know. It's. I think it's fairly clear from the Marcus Rashford side that he's been briefing big time. You know, you look at some of the the angles that have been written in articles of late that, not to suggest that he's at the source of a lot of the leaks, but I think he's very keen to get his side of the story out there. And for him to be questioning Rangnick after you said five training sessions, I think is a bit rich. Yeah, I, I you know, like obviously there's, there could be issues going on behind the scenes, but I, I just question how this squad who, and it's it all falls back to that Roy Keane segment on Sky. It really does. That the Leopards don't change their spots. They've thrown three managers under the bus already. They're willing to do it again. Arthur, you you, you, you clearly disagree with this, so I want to know why. Well, I don't, first of all, I don't think you have to be winning titles and medals to have an opinion on whether someone or not is up to their job. I mean, at the end of the day, you say, I suppose, what Bruno Fernandes has achieved. Like, like if you were to say, take top 100 footballers in the world, he's probably in that list. Do you know what I mean? Like, the top 100. He's, you know, phenomenally talented individual, obviously knows what he's doing. And you can, I suppose, you know, he'd have, I think he's every right. And again, we'll, we'll just without going too far off thing, I, I wouldn't necessarily um, be in agreement when you're talking about with the, the leaking and stuff. I think that's endemic. That's a, that's a serious, that is an issue. Like that's, you're going to go nothing done with that situation. But like just the sheer notion that he shouldn't be complaining because he hasn't won the Premier League. That's a well, bit mad. Here's, here's why I hold that opinion. If you look at the Manchester City team and you look at the Liverpool team and you look at the Chelsea team, the... Yes, Manchester City have spent a lot of money as well and it's a, a much, much better squad in terms of talent. But they work their balls off every single game, chasing down the balls. If you don't perform, you know you're dropped and there's nothing said about it and you come back and you perform better than you did before. You saw it. Pep Guardiola does it all the time. You can see a player massively in form and he just get dropped for four weeks and then he comes back and he's far better again. We saw it with Bernardo Silva, we saw it with Sterling, we saw it with Mares. All these players, there's a sense of jeopardy within the Manchester City squad that if you don't perform to the level of what, what is expected from Pep, you're dropped and that's it. And there's no, there's no leaks to the press, there's no complaining. That's just how it works. Liverpool, probably not a team full of absolute superstars in ter- terms of talent, but as a collective... They work every single day harder than any other team than you'll see on the pitch. They press down the ball with the intensity that you don't see from any other team in the world. And this United team, who is, as we're told continuously, full of absolute superstars, they don't press, they complain all the time, they don't perform to the levels that they want, and then they leak to the press and complain that the manager is uninspiring. I think the players are uninspiring. Okay. Like, take it from their point of view, right? So say, like, you know, say for a footballer's point of view, if you have, like, a four-year deal, it's more or less indefinite. So you're, you're at the club for the indefinite future. You know, there's whatever it is. You, you're there for the foreseeable. And put your situation in that, so where you are in your job, and it's like, right, as far as you're concerned, you're staying here for the next few years. And then your manager's brought in, and they say, you have six months. This guy's only going to be here till May. So what's the 
like straight away they're being put in a really invidious position where especially then for the players you know what about the players whose contracts are up in May who am I playing for it's like what the whole dynamic you talk about City and Liverpool but to be fair to them in both situations and this isn't uh, it's not a, it's not an excuse it's something they've really carefully done but like so few clubs have like they basically inserted a manager into a scenario that was built for them Mm. So everything there was built around what Guardiola and Klopp would have wanted in a systematic club. And they're, you know, they're essentially there, there for as long as they seem de- deemed fit to stay there. Whereas the situation at Man United is like, it's constant flux. So I don't know what you want the players to buy into. Because at the end of the day, like you see people, they could buy into the idea of the club. That's fine. I'm sure some do. But like, that's pretty temporal as well. It's not going to last. They're not, the club won't remember you. You're going to be gone someday. And I just don't know what you want them to buy into if they're being failed from above. Yeah. Yeah. I, I take I take that as a, a valid argument. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I still, I still think they should be doing their jobs that they're getting paid to do, but they are. Listen, like, not to, a, okay. not to a great if, level. Okay. But like, so not to a great level is they didn't. And I just, finish. it's it's not that, it's not that they're underperforming because everyone underperforms. It's just that it genuinely seems that they don't care. Okay. But th- we don't know that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, hypothesizing. There, there does seem to be a lack of professional pride. And I don't know to what extent we have to take a step back from this and think about the world we're living in because like, to what extent can we actually frame all this as, actual goings on in a normal football world because as we've mentioned a couple of times the, the lack of training sessions the way the, the everything's been disrupted and like you look at the Chelsea Liverpool game which was amazing in the first half and then palpably slowed down the second half because the players just don't have the intensity to keep this going with the matches as they are and squads struggling as they are so that's one point of it but on the United side of it like maybe they haven't won enough or have that reflexive mentality of grinding out results to fall into a pattern like Bayern did. Like when Bayern got rid of Kovac and managed to win all before <laughs> them, basically, you know, with an interim manager, Hansi Flick eventually got the job full time. And then similarly, you cast your mind back to when Jose Mourinho left Chelsea and that, that team basically managed itself with Avram Grant at the helm, got to a Champions League final again, Chelsea, you look at the situation when Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League, to what extent he was running things. But they had leaders on the pitch who were able to navigate that. And granted, they had a bit of fortune on their side, but they, they knew they had to win the Champions League to qualify for the next season. And you'd think, at the very least, the likes of Bruno Fernandes would be thinking, we have to get top four. I don't want to be playing in Kazakhstan in the Europa Conference League or whatever it is next season. So you'd like to think that would kick in at some stage, but I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see in that regard, I think. So just to sort of round the conversation up before we take a break and leave the United stuff, the the two questions that I think you have to distinguish between is, is it the manager not inspiring these players with his tactical insight and the coaching? Is is Ragnick at fault with, is, is, I suppose, his 4-2-2-2 formation running that I know you didn't like on Monday night? Or is it the players who have now consistently underperformed? Do you think... Ragnick will rustle this together and, and somehow, I don't know, come up with a, a tactic that, that suits this team or are United doomed this season? 
Well, there is some talk and there seems to be endless talk that they're going to have some come to Jesus meeting this week and try and establish a plan for the season. And you'd like to think they will land on a tactic that kind of suits everybody. And that's kind of the point. I think unless they sign a Ruben Neves or whoever they've been linked with in January, they're going to have to go with the midfield that they've got. And, you know, no team is equipped perfectly in every department and you kind of have to accentuate the positives in that regard. So if United are thinking of a game plan through to the end of the season, 4 2 2 2 Two or whatever it is is way too open for this kind of personnel where the centre-backs have underperformed massively there's a gaping hole in midfield immobile centre-forward in Ronaldo so something's got to give in that regard I think if they can just somehow become solid at the back they've got more than enough talent at the top end of the pitch to nick goals and grind out results that way I can't see it being the flamboyant pressing style with the personnel that they've got so I think Rangnick has to appreciate that almost immediately and realise that if the training sessions or lack thereof aren't going to be able to change this overnight, he's going to have to cut his cloth accordingly if he wants to have some sort of role at United going forward. Mm-hmm. Arthur? Yeah, I think it's spot on. I think that's just it. It's just... Um, it is a case where, yeah, like I like that come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> I just think that in general, though, it just... It, yeah, you're not... It doesn't... It seems so... It seems like there's so many disparate um, individual strands uh, kind of of people who have their own interests in this. And it is interesting when you say that about like, especially that Chelsea example, like it's just perfect example, like of where like we don't, we don't, we, we, there's enough, there's so much muscle memory and so much, we know how to win, we know how to do anything else. I, geez, I wouldn't have an awful lot of faith necessarily in my United this season to, to do do anything I don't know like I, I I don't know like it's so hard because that first game against Crystal Palace under Rangnick it really looked like oh they, this is this is really impressive how quickly they've already picked this up what he wants to do but geez, since that's just been chronic I don't know I think that there might be too many good teams around them to be honest um, that that top four might be a bit might be a bit of a a bit of a stretch to be honest hmm. yeah I'm, I'm going to go with the doomsday element to the the, the rest of the season because I, I just don't know how you can look at that team and say, yeah, we can control the game or we can we can press high. We, we, United can't do any of that, you know. Uh, they not, they not genuinely are ahead. But think of this Atletico fixture in the Champions League where on paper you think that's a reasonable draw, you know, not the worst possible scenario. But as things stand, if you look at the two teams, it's going to be an absolute massacre. <laughs> Talk about a team that's not working hard enough. <laughs> Atletico, you have to give them credit. They they work pretty damn hard, so it's going to be pretty embarrassing if United don't pull their socks up at least for that one. Yeah, you can't you can't counter attack counter attack a team that <laughs> play counter attacking football. So uh, yeah, that, I think that's going to be a bit of a snore fest. But that, I guess that that's where we'll park the United conversation for this evening because it's going to rumble on. There's going to continue to be leaks, I would imagine, over the next couple of weeks and. We shall see if Ralph Ragnick can get a hold of this United team and get some sort of formation going. But until then, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with some Lukaku chat. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now you're welcome back to Team 33. End a call here in the company of Arthur O'D and Ronan Mullen. If you missed our United chat from earlier on, you can get it in the podcast on the OTB Sports app or you can get it on YouTube as well. We're going to turn our attention now to... Romelu Lukaku, who came back into Chelsea starting lineup in the Carabao Cup fixture during the week against Tottenham, Antonio Conte returning to Chelsea as a, a manager of a different club for the first time since his acrimonious exit from the club. But 
Lukaku dominated the headlines in the build-up to this uh, game as a, an interview from three weeks ago was published from Sky Italia. And he basically said, I love Inter Milan more than any other club and I want to go back there as soon as possible. That's roughly what he said. Since then, there has been an apology and a meeting with Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel said that he apologized, that he never questions his work rate or his ability to focus. And Romelu Lukaku has published possibly, and I I say this lightly, possibly the least convincing apology to fans I've ever seen from a player that has had to come out and do it. Ronan, this is a messy situation, just like the United mess that we've spoken about for the guts of a half an hour there. But what do you make of Romelu Lukaku here? Because this isn't the first time that he's done something similar. He did he did the same when he was at Manchester United. And uh, now he's repeated that with, with Chelsea. Yeah, I think in the initial furore around it, I think it was probably missed that his expressed intention in this presumably was to almost apologise to Inter Milan fans because having got gone there and delivered them a league title, he departed the scene fairly quickly because they weren't in a position to renew his contract and similarly Conte and several others departed too. So I think that was probably his thinking that oh, I should probably address this with Inter fans so that I can in like possibly in the future go back there. But I, it kind of accelerated and he pro- it probably got away from him slightly that he's got this... There is a sense around him of frustration that things haven't quite clicked at Chelsea so far. And you think of that those heady days at Inter where he was super impressive in Serie A, that he was probably, it was a combination of those two things and it snowballed and all of a sudden there's, it's blown up and it's everywhere. And for all that I agree with Tuka's decision to drop him last weekend, I think at a certain point, although Lukaku expressed it, I think a lot of players are thinking this way and rather than leaking to the press through, you know, ancillary means, he, he the only difference is he came out and said it. And if we want players to speak their minds, we can't be jumping down their throats every time they do it. Similarly, Luke Shaw's interview, which, you know, that hangdog, normal crack after a Man United defeat, he was sticking the boot in and people were like, Jesus, this is unbelievable. But again, if we want non-monotone, like non-script-based post-match interviews, we can't just be critiquing them every time they happen. So I think Lukaku, needless to say, has been quite underwhelming at Chelsea this season, but it seems like they've managed to patch it up. And I have a good faith in Thomas Tuchel to be able to reintegrate him into the squad and the fact that he was back in pretty much with no issue and a very impressive Chelsea performance against Spurs that I think it shouldn't be an issue at least till the end of this season. Yeah, The the timing certainly was pretty unfair on Lukaku's (laughs) behalf because it, I mean it was recorded three weeks prior publish it before the biggest game of the season potentially and suddenly there's a big furore around it and on at base level I actually don't you know I I don't really blame Lukaku all that much like you're saying he just he just sort of speaking his mind and I do believe that a lot of it was maybe maybe lost in the interpretation of what he said rather than what he actually said the the translation might not have been completely or shown the complete true story behind his words. But I, I, I was thinking about this, Arthur, and is it a mountain out of molehill if he does want to return to Italy? I mean, he's 28 years old. I was thinking about this in, in some sort of way that I could compare to a, another career. Like, if you go to Europe and you, you have a career there and 
you're really enjoying it, but suddenly a, a company in, in England offers you way more money than you're on in Italy. So you take the job, you return to it. And then after a couple of months, you realize that might not have, that might not have been the best move for me. And actually, despite getting paid less, despite maybe not having the, the fame of the other job, I actually preferred living in the warmth of Italy where the culture's more suited to my uh, ability. I mean, yeah, that probably would hold some water if you hadn't played in England, like three with three or four other clubs beforehand. Like, you know, he knows what he was getting when he was coming here. I'm not really sure. I, I Like, it seemed an odd thing to do. I do appreciate it. And it's much better. I'd be much happier hearing people say what you, what you want to say. But the fact that he, I suppose, acquiesced to their... <laughs> I presume their request for a public apology to Chelsea fans suggests that he probably knew what he was doing. It's just like, it's kind of, I'm not sure what he was hoping to gain. Like, I appreciate it was a case of, and I don't, yeah, I I don't fully know. I know the circumstances around his inter-exit were a bit weird. There's a bit sudden, like, and it, like, it just, whatever way the financial thing was there, like, everyone was cleared house, but like, um, it, uh, I just, yeah, it just struck me like, what, what is the purpose of this? What, because obviously, I presume he left Inter because they could no longer afford him, or did, was it? Is it a case more so that they just really needed the money that Chelsea were going to pay? No, I think it was financial issues with with Inter Milan. Like, it's like it's just funny, but I, I do. I don't. I, I don't know what you think about it. I'm always wor- I'd always have a little bit of a worry about a player like that who is constantly moving, mm. like I like constantly moving. He's always and like, and he was. He looked great at, at Inter. To be fair to him, I saw a little bit of him there, but um, I mean, they're winning the league now again without him. You know, it's not. It doesn't seem like the. Doesn't it's not it's not the same standard as it is now in England. I just don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what he was trying to gain, or what he was trying to do, or what he was trying to maneuver. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, the, the harshest thing you could say about him is that he is sort of backing down from the challenge of the Premier League. I'm I'm not quite sure if I buy fully into that argument. the The main thing that I sort of questioned about his comments was that he said that. I really hope from the bottom of my heart to return to enter at not at the end of my career, but when I'm still at the top level to win more together. He's 28 years old. I mean, so that means he wants to move back to enter within a year or two, Absolutely. like minimum. That's so he clearly wants to go back there. Does he want to go back there to, you know, score 18 to 25 goals in the Serie A and be a, a sort of a bully that he, he, he can be at, at times, or does he want to play in the Premier League and, be challenged by City and Liverpool for for league titles and potentially battle with a, a top level coach to get into his team. That's it's the two questions really. And- yeah, I don't know to what extent can we frame it as it's it's kind of like delusions of grandeur on his part. Maybe that's too harsh on him or superiority complex where he possibly thinks he's at a this upper echelon that he's in the company of the top centre forwards in the world, the likes of Lewandowski and so on. When in truth, he's probably some way short of that. And like you looked at that Chelsea team that won the Champions League. And I think I personally had them favourites for the league coming into this season. And with his addition, 
he gave them a whole new element up front whereby I think Kai Havertz started as the central striker in that Champions League final but Lukaku just gives a whole new element in that regard where there's a focal point and the likes of Havertz and even Timo Werner the, the pressure's off him and I just thought all that would, would mesh quite nicely he hasn't hit full fitness after that initial quite impressive spell I know he was very dominant at the Emirates for example and then kind of has dissipated thereafter but I think if he can get a run of games going he can probably make an impact this season but there always has been that element that you're alluding to ended that little bit of a flat track bully which was evidenced during his time at Man United where he would you know rack up the goals against lesser teams but when it came to like goal percentages against the so-called top six and I use that term advisedly I think they were quite low during his time at Man United so as you said, 28, this isn't exactly... He's no longer prospective talent. These are his key cash-in years. And rather than dicing around and moving here, there and everywhere, as Arthur's saying, I think he needs to at least give Chelsea a couple of seasons and not leave Chelsea twice in his career in um, quite underwhelming circumstances. It's like the striker version of Paul Pogba at Manchester United, really. that's If you're hinting at wanting to leave, then... You know, either do it or turn up for your for your own team and perform to the level that they expect and that they probably deserve, giving the the money that they're paying for you. So it'll be interesting to see how the Lukaku situation develops over the next couple of weeks. He's back in the starting lineup for the Carabao Cup anyway, so it'll let's see if he's continues that in in the league. Just before we finish up, then League of Ireland uh, transfer window is in overdrive at the minute. A lot of players moving around. Finn Harps are finally starting to make a few signings after their their team was absolutely plundered by Shelburne. Damien Duff clearly watching a lot of what Ollie Horgan was doing up at uh, Finn Harps. But um, a lot of players moving elsewhere and abroad as well. Arthur James Brown seems to be on his way to to Blackburn under 23s. Daniel O'Reilly went to Hamilton. Uh, Sligo's Johnny Kenny is going to Celtic by the looks of it. 150,000 his release clause. Your general thoughts on on that move for a young striker who, you know, has been across before and didn't really quite work out for him, but he had a, he had a great season at Sligo. Yeah, another chain and a storied link between Sligo and Celtic. Um, it'll be like it's it's kind of like again. I so I I've only I've only unfortunately got to see him like over LOI TV and streams, and I've never got to see him in the flesh. But just talking to a friend of mine as well, who'd be season ticket holder there, would see him an awful lot more. I mean, he from the get from like so far ago, like from months and months ago, he was kind of saying how just how good he was, like that Rovers wouldn't be holding on to him. Like, and I suppose if you're going to go anywhere, hopefully now he goes to Celtic. Because obviously it's going to be incredibly tough to get anywhere near the first team. Because it's just like yeah, you'd be, you'd, I think you'd be you'd be doing extremely well to be anywhere near in the next year or two. But I presume. He'll be going, he'll get the best coaching possible. He'll get the best opportunities, I suppose. I presume other clubs in Scotland are generally keener than to look at Celtic than most clubs to try and get loans in. So you kind of hope, All I, the only thing you really hope when he's leaving, like I suppose there's two things. One, that it will be financially beneficial for Sligar Rovers, and it looks like they've done all right there on that front. And the second is that he just keeps playing football somewhere. Whether it's kind of at a level, again, I don't think he's taking, whatever he goes, I don't think he's going to be taking a level down, but Hopefully, if he's not anywhere near the Celtic team, fine. But hopefully, he's out on loan somewhere. I just, you'd like to be able to just kind of get into the next season or the rest of this season, I suppose, and um, just still be able to keep an eye out for him and see how he's doing. 
But mm. again, his departure in general and the, just the general tone has been that it's kind of an inevitability. So it's no, it's no surprise that he is gone. It's unfortunate, but like, um, I think when you're going, <laughs> if Celtic are coming in to buy you, then you kind of just got to say, wish him the best of luck. It's kind of fair play. <laughs> There's not much you can do there. No, Hibs, Hibs wanted to that. sign him as well. So Celtic were in competition with Hibernian to sign him. So I, I would imagine best case scenario is that Celtic loan him out to Hibs straight away and he gets to work within a first team structure. I don't think he'll be, to be honest, anywhere near the Celtic first team um, in the short term basis. But that can change very quickly with injuries. The the likes of, um, you know, Kyogo hasn't been fully fit all year. Jack and Marcus, another striker at the club, hasn't been fully fit. So, I mean, if the opportunity arises, he might get thrown into the deep end and see what he can do. But best case scenario is that he's sent out and loan, I think, because there's no point in playing underage football for Celtic. There's, I mean, you may as well just stay in the League of Ireland and play senior football and develop for the next couple of years. Ronan, Stephen O'Donnell at, at Dundalk coming in, you know, a lot of rebuilding to be done at that that club as well. What's the, what's the hopes for this season with uh, the new management? Yeah, well, he's getting the band back together in terms of obviously re-signing some of the lads he would have played with and also John Mountney and Robbie Benson back at the club, among others. So there's a sense that a bit of a rebuild on his hands, but certainly an element of hope that has been absent in the club for the last couple of seasons. Like, I'm not going to lay that of any parts store or even our Italian friends who held the helm for a little while. It's more the ownership and the lack of of prospect and not to compare uh, Dundalk to Moneybags Newcastle but there is a sense that that slate has been wiped clean a little bit and we're just happy to have any sort of new ownership and the fact that the ownership is kind of best case scenario you know a locally based institution with an understanding of what Dundalk Football Club means to the the town at large and what can be achieved when everything's rowing in the right direction because those heady days under Stephen Kenny, as important as he was, it was more the the backing that the whole community was able to. It was almost entwined with what was happening on the pitch and those amazing nights in Europe. So it'll be a while before Dundalk can hit those heights again, I would suggest, just given the strength of some of the other clubs in the league at the moment. But for the first time in a couple of years, things are at least pointing in the right direction. Yeah, we shall see. Hopefully by the time that the League of Ireland is actually kicking off again, we'll have fans back in the stadiums and all this Omicron nonsense will be will be past it at that point. But that, again, is something that we're going to have to wait and see on it. Ronan Mullen, uh, Arthur D, thanks very much for this evening. Cheers, lads. Now, that is us done on this week's Team 33. Thanks to you for listening as ever. If you want to listen back to that, you can get it on the Team 33 podcast, which is available now on the OTV Sports app, or you can watch it on YouTube as well. We'll be back again in the same time, same place next week. But until then, take away, Johan.